final day of July. The ultimate day of July? Either way, this is the fourth 31st of the year, and the end of the seventh month. There is no way of knowing for sure, either mathematically or scientifically, if time is moving faster, so such philosophical ponderings are not really part of any edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm Sean Tubbs, however, freezing time as best and when I can. In the sentences and paragraphs today, Charlottesville releases a work plan documenting what steps are being taken to implement the Climate Action Plan. A New York firm with experience running on-demand bus service will operate a microtransit service in Albemarle County. And Charlottesville City Council and the Planning Commission plan for commercial uses in residential areas under the future zoning code. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to adults who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to children. Would you like to learn more or support their work? Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more about the organization and check them out on Facebook for the latest programs and services. There are aspirational plans in government, and there are work plans that actually tell staff members what to do. Last week, the city of Charlottesville unveiled details on what's being done to meet a goal to first reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 and then eliminate them completely by 2050. Here's a section from a press release sent out last week. This is a high-level list of the climate-related initiatives and projects the city is working on this year to move our community climate goals forward. The first page of the document states that it is not a progress report but a guide to the many initiatives underway, both by city government and community partners. City initiatives range from the Transit Alternative Fuel Study that's to be completed in the fall to planning to adapt to a climate that has already changed. The latter is being done in collaboration with Albemarle County and builds off a 2022 report on climate risks. Albemarle County produced a similar document last June. Other city initiatives include a gas decarbonization study is being conducted by the Utilities Department and is expected to be completed this winter. A program to provide rebates to property owners for upgrading attic insulation is also live. A flood resilience plan is expected to be finalized in the fall of 2023. Such a plan is needed to apply for money from the Community Flood Preparedness Fund. Virginia's participation in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative has provided revenue for that fund. How will Governor Youngkin's decision to remove Virginia from Reggie affect the future availability of those funds? City environmental staff will continue to conduct greenhouse gas inventories. The most recent results were published this spring. And the plan also lists several line items in the Capital Improvement Program as contributing to climate action. These include funding for urban tree planting, bicycle infrastructure, new sidewalks, the Clean Energy Loan Fund, and conversion of streetlights to LEDs. The latter has $600,000 in the current fiscal year towards those efforts. 
a plan to hold a one-year pilot of on-demand transit service in two of Albemarle County's development areas is one step closer to being implemented. Last week, the city of Charlottesville awarded a contract to River North Transit LLC of New York, New York, to operate the service on behalf of Charlottesville Area Transit. Specifically, the firm will provide software and necessary hardware services to operate a full-service third-party operator solution. The firm's contract to provide the same service in the Miami-Dade area in Florida has recently been renewed, according to Miami Today. That involves a doubling of the service area. Last year, the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation awarded a $1.5 million grant to Charlottesville Area Transit to conduct the pilot for Albemarle. The service will run in the Places 29 and the Pantops area. Stay tuned for when it might launch. For more on the topic, there are several stories in recent newsletters that you can look at in the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out. Architectural firm Design Develop wants you to know about a new service aimed at the development community that may not be widely known just yet. That's 3D point cloud scanning. This is a technique that uses specialized equipment, such as 3D scanner systems, to gather a large amount of data points that represent the surface of the scanned object or scene. The applications of 3D point cloud scanning are extensive and cover various fields, including architecture, construction, cultural heritage preservation, virtual reality, industrial design, manufacturing, and more. These applications require accurate 3D spatial information, and Design Develop's workflow provides precise and comprehensive results, all while being more cost-effective than traditional methods. Design Develop has expertise in this workflow for their own needs and now has a dedicated team offering this service in the Charlottesville and Albemarle area. If you're involved in the real estate, design, or construction industry, feel free to contact them for more information or a free quote. Visit their website for an introductory video that captures the 3D point cloud scanning of the Downtown Transit Center and a booklet will explain more. One more segment to go today, and it's a long one, and I'm not so sure it really came together, but let's go. The release of a final draft of the city's next zoning ordinance has been delayed for another week, according to James Fries, the city's director of neighborhood development services. It was supposed to come out last week, but there has been a need for more legal review before the draft is ready for public review. On July 13th, the City Council and the Planning Commission held another long work session to go through the three modules that have been released over the course of this year. This most recent work session covered two items. Unfortunately, this edition of the newsletter only covers the first one, and even that's just partial. Appointed and elected officials discussed the rules for the Residential A, Residential B, and Residential C districts that are all intended to increase housing across the entire city. The exact amount for each won't be known until that new draft is released. 
One concern offered by critics of the new zoning code is that reduced setbacks will lead to bulky buildings that alter neighborhood character. Christy Dodson of the firm Code Studio explained that these will allow for more control of what the future looks like. When you're thinking about how you're controlling for building size and building location, in today's regulations, the setbacks and the height are the only tools, the only dials that impact that that bulk, that bulk and mass. Um, in the proposed regulation, we have a few more dials. And so I, I want to make sure that we understand what those dials do and how we can change them um, to get the outcomes that we may want to see. The new regulations add the dials of width and building coverage. Dodson said controlling width and reducing setbacks can help make sure new structures be house scale. She went through multiple examples of this in her presentation. The consolidated draft will have provisions for alternative forms that could be used in all three residential districts for commercial purposes. These would take the form of house scale business or shop front house or corner store. Dodson previewed the shop front house. And the intent of this really runs the spectrum um, from something that is a house, it looks like a house, it's the form of a house, but it has a business. Dodson sought feedback from the group on whether these should be limited to corner lots and whether they should be limited in size. Uses would be controlled by a table that's currently available in the first module. Most of these do require a special use permit, so there's a process associated with that. Um, and these are most limited in RA. Um, so things like food and beverage would not be allowed in RA. In the draft version that is supposed to be released this week, the proprietor would not have to live in the home in this alternative form. But should they? There was a lot of discussion at the meeting about the impact that commercial uses might have on communities that up until now have been residential. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook asked this question about special use permits, or SUPs. Does the SUP process permit us to say there are already two others like this on the block and you don't get one because you're third in line and you weren't one of the first two? Lee Einsweiler of Code Studio said there could perhaps be language in the zoning code to address the spacing of businesses, but that legislative approval by the council would be key. So there is some nuance to this, and that's why the special use permit is really important for things that you are concerned about, whether they would have significant impacts. Einsweiler said if the city really wants to encourage businesses in residential areas, at least some of the uses should be by right rather than require special use permits. And if you see these as a baby step up from a home-based business to something slightly larger that might eventually grow into something even larger, that's, uh, it's a real challenge to go through that formal process. This so is an experiment really for you. You don't really have a major pattern of historic versions of this in spite of the fact that clearly they were there at one point in time in some of the neighborhoods. Um, and as you bring it back, you should probably be a little bit careful about it for sure. But what about specific kinds of retail businesses? Here's an exchange between Einsweiler and Planning Commission Chair Lyle Sola Yates. Can you address vape shops? I'm getting a lot of questions about vape shops. Vape is just a oh, thing vape. you happen to sell. So, you know, if, if the state's allowing you to sell it, 
We'd have to ask the attorney whether we can allow, you know, whether we can constrain it. Attorneys have been consulted about the specific issue, and we'll see what the draft says. Speaking generally, City Councilor Michael Payne said he didn't want to make strict prohibitions that would stifle commercial activity in residential neighborhoods. I mean, there's definitely people I've canvassed and talked to who wish they had a, a corner store or a coffee shop they could walk to, and we do have examples of that in the city. At the same time, it's definitely true there would be areas in the city where I'm sure the neighborhood would not welcome some particular use coming in. Oh, yeah. I don't know if the special use permit process is a way to kind of navigate it, but I would be uncomfortable just a blanket saying like it is just illegal and absolutely not possible to have like some commercial uses mixed in with residential because we see there is a real desire for that in the areas of the community. However, Payne acknowledged there could be unpredicted outcomes. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg said he thought many of the businesses would end up being run by homeowners who have a passion for a particular service or good. It's never going to pencil for a like corporate 7-Eleven to like say, I want to open up a, a, you know, a Starbucks to say, I want to open up, you know, in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Um, but for someone who lives there and wants to set up, you know, a couple cafe tables and get, you know, a uh, an espresso machine um, to be social, to bring together the community. Stolzenberg said he did not want commercial uses to be limited to corner lots. He also suggested making some uses by right if the business owner also lives on the property. Einsweiler said that would be hard to enforce. It's just really difficult to know who's where. Um, and I also know that many, many successful examples of these are not owner-occupied. They're for lease spaces. Planning Commissioner Kareem Habab suggested having an owner-occupied requirement in at least residential A. I, I would be for that with exceptions for specific uses like a convenience store. And I don't know what that list of uses is until we can dive into Hopefully we'll have another work session that we can dive into the uses or we can send you feedback. Another issue discussed was whether commercial uses should be allowed only on corner lots or whether they should be allowed on all properties. Planning Commissioner Hosea Mitchell suggested a special use permit would be required for corner lots. The commission's chair was bullish about mid-block businesses in general. I know there are no illegal mid-block businesses in Charlottesville, but if there were and we legalized them, we might. There would be, they, suddenly they would magically appear and pay taxes, um, which I see value in. Mayor Snook had a different take. I am generally not a fan of commercial uses, particularly in, I mean, in residential zones and RA in particular. Snook also added that the purpose of RB zones around schools was to have people live in those locations and not have stores there. He said he could support only having commercial uses on corner lots. The reason I've suggested focusing on corner lots has been that it provides a natural system of rationing. You can't have but so many of that particular lot, of that particular use, if they're going to be on, on corner lots. That doesn't mean that it's the most intelligent way to ration Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade reminded Council and the Planning Commission of the time that he worked as a transportation planner for Albemarle County, where he had to review traffic impacts from businesses. He wants to proceed cautiously with commercial uses in residential areas. I would like as much for it to be SUP as possible because that gives us an opportunity 
to review it based on what's going on in the neighborhood. Planning Commissioner Philip Duranzio said he opposed any requirement that a property owner must live at the site to enable a business use. You could easily have a situation where uh, an owner-occupant is renting the storefront to somebody and the owner-occupant then needs to depart and to preserve the ownership of the property, they need to rent the residential unit out too. Commissioner Carl Schwartz also rejected the idea of an owner-occupancy mandate, but did support a different requirement. I do think we need to have a resident, on the, someone living on the property. I would say at least 50% of the square footage of the project should be residential. Um, so that way, at least, you know, if there's, if it's a nuisance, there's someone living on the site that's experiencing the nuisance. And that's where I have to leave it. There was much more in this work session and many conversations, but I've got two hours more to listen through that. And honestly, I'm more interested in seeing now what's in the draft. I will admit that this edition of the newsletter has been delayed because it's incredibly difficult to go through a four-hour conversation when you can only work in increments of about an hour or two. Now, what exactly is going to be in this draft of the zoning ordinance? We'll know more this week, and I will try my best to drop everything to write about it. This stuff is important, and I think more people need to be taking a look as the final vote looms later this year. What do you want to know? But that's the end of 560. This one was a struggle to get out the door, and I'm glad to see it finished so I can get on to the next one. To really be able to produce this newsletter, I need large amounts of time. And as I've said a lot recently, I've not had that, but the horizon looks a little more clear. There's a lot to cover in this community, and I'm grateful for your patience and support. This is a service of Town Crier Productions, a company I created three years ago to help get myself to the point where I'm able to have large amounts of time to keep an eye on things and tell as many people what's happening. If you'd like to support the program, a paid subscription through Substack is the best way to get there. But you can also share it with more people who may be interested in learning more about how things work or don't work. And if you pay through Substack, Ting will match your initial payment. And you know this by now. If you sign up for Ting at a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you're going to get free installation, a second month for free, and a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. Thank you, and let's take bets on when 561 will be out. <laughs>